If you have your Bibles, would you turn with me to Acts chapter 17? Acts chapter 17. And we are in our uh, second week on the topic of uh, race and racial issues. Uh, We've been in a series of messages living Christianly in a world, in our world, and uh, we've had an opportunity to look at the topic of uh, sexuality and look at the topic of work, and um, now we look at the topic of race. Read with me here in Acts chapter 17. Paul is in verse 22. It says, So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I pass along and observe the objects of your worship, I found also an altar altar with the inscription to an unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, I proclaim to you, the God who made this world and everything in it, being the Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and boundaries for their dwelling. Verse 27 that they should seek God in hope that they might feel their way towards him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each of us, for if in him we live, we move, and we have our being. So so Paul is uh, challenging this uh, group of um, Athenians, and he is talking about the fact that, if you caught it, he said that all mankind came from one man, one man, in verse 26, every nation of mankind had its dwelling. So last week we had an opportunity to look at uh, the topic of race and racial issues from um, the problem. Then we wanted to go to the issue of hope. Uh, Today we want to look at the issue of change and practice, how we actually need to change and how we need to practice. Last week we talked about this idea of these misconceptions that are out there today that race in and of itself, uh, the term is not actually accurate when we think about it from a biblical viewpoint. When we look at it today, race is defined as different cultures or ethnicities, um, how you look differently on the outside or how you speak differently. Uh, The Bible actually defines race as one race, that we are under one race, under Adam, that all of us, even though we look differently on the outside, Um, ultimately we come from one family, Adam and Eve, and then the family of Noah after the world was repopulated. So in essence, race is a a social construct. We talked a little bit about that last week. It's a construct that has been created by humanity. It is not something that has been created by God. The second thing I wanted you to understand with the problem is that there's been a series of misunderstandings. You'll get some opportunities, Lord willing, to go through and look at the scriptures, how the scriptures of like the curse of Ham and other curses in scripture have been used to propagate racial uh, discord and prejudice and racism in the world. Some look at the issue of the Tower of Babel and look back to that and say that the division of races that God brought about, or at least the division of people, was in essence to keep separate races or people separate by race. 
uh, where we saw that what God wanted to do was to establish his spreading of humanity around the whole world. I asked you to consider last week that one of the reasons why we struggle with racism today is, is a series of issues that are in our lives, that there is pride that happens deep within That it's pride that we elevate ourselves above one another. I ask you to consider that fear is also an issue. We feel uncomfortable with someone or something that's different from us. And sometimes in fear we hide. Sometimes it's the issue of hatred. That God tells us in his word to love him with all our heart and to love others. That he says through 1 John that how can you say that you love God and hate a brother? That sometimes it's an issue of hatred. I ask you also to consider that sometimes it's an issue of inferiority. That sometimes I just don't feel good enough about myself, so I now need to diminish someone else. So there's misconceptions, there's misunderstandings, but there's also missed opportunities. I wanted you to consider that last week. Consider the stagnation of the Christian church and the fact that we have been focusing perhaps on just one race, the race that, or racial group or ethnic group that we feel most comfortable with. In Malachi chapter 2, it said this, Have we not all one Father? Have we not one God who's created us? Why then are we faithless to one another, profaning the covenant of our fathers? Or in Matthew 28, it says this, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then Jesus said on the night that he was betrayed, he said in John 13, he says, a new commandment I've given you, that you love one another. If you remember last week, I had said that the vast majority of churches in the United States are of one race, if we're going to define race as an ethnicity or a culture. That only 14% of evangelical churches are multi-ethnic. There's something wrong if that's the case. So I ask you to consider that we have missed opportunities, that we are looking for people that don't look like us. If we're looking for people that simply look like us, we're missing opportunities to spread the gospel. Then I wanted you to go to the issue of hope. From the problem that we had, I wanted you to understand the hope. The hope is found in the power of the gospel. I ask you to realize that our deepest problem is not ethnic and cultural. Our deepest problem is spiritual. That if we are not in Christ, we are separated from God. I ask you to consider that we, in Adam, are morally corrupt. We are under guilt. We are under condemnation. We have been alienated from God. That is the greatest alienation that we have today. And our deep need is to have a new nature. Our deep need is to have forgiveness. Our deep need is for acceptance. Our deep need is for reconciliation vertically with God. See, that when I understand that, that the gospel of God's amazing grace, the justification that he's granted us by grace, through faith, in Christ alone, is this wonderful act of God's amazing grace that he's poured out. He pardons us based on God's righteousness, Christ's righteousness, not our own. He does that based on not our color or our conduct, but on Christ's conduct and character alone. And so now if we can understand that the power of the gospel draws us to one another, that we have been credited with Christ's righteousness, it has nothing to do with what we look like on the outside, how we speak externally. It has to do with the trust of what's going on in our hearts internally. I ask you to consider that Christ fully and completely satisfied the wrath of God, the justice of God, that he's given us that the only condition for this relationship with Christ is by faith alone. And even that faith was given to us as a gift from God. 
So that today you stand black or white, Hispanic or Asian, Indian or Native American, you stand as one in Christ under the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. He sees you as precious in his sight. He sees you as one that has no penalty. He sees you as one as not under condemnation any longer. It is by grace you've been saved through faith. See, the hope for race and racial reconciliation in this world is to recognize that we need to come back to the power of the gospel that brings us together. Then I ask you to consider a change of perspective. The problem, the hope, what needs to change? I wanted you to consider the fact that race in and of itself is primarily an ideology. It's a belief structure. Racism is as well. So what we need to do is to see that people must change. Change must begin internally before it's ever going to change externally. In fact, when we try to change externally without internal change, what's happening on the inside will eventually come out. So God must change people's hearts, must change people's lives. Philip Graham Reichen, in his book on worldview, gave this definition of a worldview, which I found interesting. He said, a worldview is a commitment, a fundamental orientation of the heart that can be expressed as a story or a set of presuppositions, assumed which may be true, partially true, or entirely false, which we hold consciously or subconsciously, consistently or inconsistently, about the basic constitution of reality. What Reichen was getting at is this, that your beliefs, your worldview, may not be accurate, even though you believe them deeply. So changing race issues in our country has to start from the inside out. It has to start with challenging people in their beliefs and in their lives. So what is race? The world, the way the world defines race today, they define race as a different set of cultures or ethnicities that you look differently on the outside. I believe last week I told you that science actually proves that the difference between any two people is about two-tenths of one percent difference. And if you think about that, that we look so differently externally, but if you boil us down biologically, two-tenths of one percent difference between any two people that's in this world. Race. What is ethnicity? Ethnicity is the sense of an ethnic origin or beliefs that you hold, characteristics that you hold dearly in life. Culture is the arts or the beliefs or the institutions that you hold together. We talked about this idea of ethnocentrism as well. Ethnocentrism is the fact that you prefer your own culture. Well, that's humanity. Humanity tends to prefer each other or prefer their own culture. And then the issue of racism. Racism is, in essence, elevating one culture or belief above another. So I wanted you to consider that the key issue in solving this problem and what needs to change is that we need to have a gospel focus. See, if I can have a gospel focus and understand who God is, radically changes the way that I see the world. As Paul talked about here in Acts 17, he said, and he, God, made from one man every nation of mankind to live in the face of the earth. I asked you to consider that we are undivided by race, that all of humanity are brothers and sisters in, in under God. We are brothers and sisters in the fact that we've been created by God and that God has created every single person together today. 
I asked you to consider that we are undivided by race and the fact that there's only one race, the human race. But yet I asked you to consider there was a second element that we are divided in this way of race. The Bible does not divide us culturally or ethnically. What the Bible divides is between those who trust in Christ and those who do not. So therefore, there is two races. If you remember um, First Timoth- I'm sorry, in First Peter chapter two, it says, "But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of His own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into the marvelous light." So, if there is a, another race, it is the fact that you are part of God's race. His children, if you trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. So the focus, a gospel focus, will help to change our perspective. I asked you to consider as well a gospel forgiveness will change lives. What happens if you are the person that has been sinned against because of racial um, disharmony? What happens if you are the one that has been called names? Or what happens if you of the one have been lost opportunities simply because of the ethnic differences or the cultural differences? That could open your heart up to bitterness and resentment. It could open your heart up to unforgiveness. And what the gospel says is this, that if God can forgive all of my sins and the myriads of sins that I commit in my life, God has forgiven me all of those sins. I can forgive anyone who has sinned against me. So that if I let the gospel become my leader, if I let the gospel become the foundation of how I live, what you've done against me is minimal in comparison to what I've done against God. You remember in Matthew 18, Jesus was giving this illustration. He was saying that, you know what, you owed this king an immense amount of money. And that the king, you came and begged this king to take away this money. You could never have paid this debt in your whole life. In all of eternity, you would not have been able to pay it back. And what the king did was had mercy upon you and offered you forgiveness. And then a little bit later on, you walk out of there and you see somebody that owes you just a small amount of money. And you have a hard time forgiving them and releasing them. And what God is saying is this, that if you can understand the gospel, if you can understand the magnitude of your sin and understand how great his grace is because of how great your debt was, And then as I look at humanity and see the small debt that humanity owes me, can I not forgive them? So the gospel focus, a gospel forgiveness leads to a gospel freedom. See, I'm not bound by what other people think of me. I'm free. I'm free in Christ. You may not like me because of the color of my skin. You may not like me because of the way I vote. You may not like me because of where I live. You may not like me. It doesn't matter. The issue is this, do I stand free in Christ? Am I part of his family? And like it or not, if I'm part of his family, we're all going to be together in heaven. <laughs> we're going to be joined together, and that leads to a gospel family. We love you. Oh, I, I love you as well. I know you do. I know you do. It's interesting that Jesus' genealogy had a lot of people that were different than Jews, right? We have Tamar. She was a Canaanite. She was a Canaanite who engaged in prostitution and bore Perez, who was the ancestor of David. We have Rahab, a Canaanite, non-Israelite, prostitute, mother of Boaz, Ruth's husband. We have Ruth, the Moabite, 
a non-Israelite, descended in Lot's incest. He's his daughter. He was, she was the granddaughter of David. Bathsheba, the Hittite, non-Israelite, was born David's prodigy. It's interesting that when you look at Jewish genealogies, more often than not, they didn't list women. It was all men. And what they wanted to do in their genealogies was to show the purity of their race, right? The purity of their culture. So why is it that God sovereignly ordained that when he laid out Jesus' genealogy, he put these women in there, number one, and he put women that were not part of the ethnicity of Jew, Jerusalem, two. Well, I think it's because of this. Jesus is out there to send the gospel out to everyone, male or female, black or white, Hispanic or Asian, to any culture that is out there, to every culture that's in this world, the gospel is for them. I want you to consider also, as you read scripture, this gospel family. You know, Joseph, when he was in, in um, Genesis, you know what he was rewarded with? He was rewarded with an Egyptian wife outside of his culture. Miriam, the sister of Moses, you remember what happened with her? Moses married an African, and when she found him marrying this African, interracial marriage, she was quite upset and angered. She talked against Moses, and what did God do? God condemned her with leprosy, which is kind of interesting. I, I won't go too far into this, but when you think about leprosy, leprosy is the whitening of your skin. And then it leads to contamination that you're separated from others. I find it interesting that Moses marries a black person, an African, and his sister attacks his heritage, attacks his leadership, and God punishes her. Moses pled for her, and the uh, leprosy was gone. I want you to consider Esther. Esther, who was a good little Jewish woman, uh, and she was part of this Jewish lineage. And what did she do? She married a Persian king, and God used her to save his people. How about Solomon? If you read Song of Solomon, Solomon is married to a woman of dark skin color. And this beautiful book about the intimacy between a husband and wife or the beauty of the intimacy between Christ and his church once again starts with this element of interracial issues. Now, I'm not trying to say that all people must be involved in interracial marriage or intercultural marriage or in, um, ethnic marriage, but I am saying this, the, go the gospel tells me this, that we must be intimately involved interracially. We must be intimately involved interculturally. We must be intimately involved interethnically in relationships with others. You may not choose to marry someone of your different race, but you do are obligated that this church, as I look out and I see people of different races and ethnicities, it's the way it's supposed to be because that's the way it's going to be in heaven. So lastly, I want you to consider the section on how do I do this, right? Practice, problem, hope, change, practice. I think the first thing has to start with this, this idea of confession and repentance. I need to desperately confess, and you need to desperately confess, if you have been holding viewpoints of separation horizontally that God has not allowed for us to have. That if you have been wrong towards anyone in thought, word, attitude, or action, and you've separated yourself here on earth, 
simply because of tones of skin or language, you must repent. You must turn to God because racism is a sin. It's wrong. When we recognize that it's a sin, it's not a sin just of actions, but it's also a sin of attitude of our hearts, then I need to understand how I've got to become a culturally sensitive person. How do I do that? Turn with me to Galatians chapter 2. We, we looked at this passage last week. I want you to consider this passage as we look at how we need to change. Remember in Galatians chapter 2, Paul has been laying out this gospel message and he's been concerned that the Galatian believers have been adding to the gospel. And by doing so, by adding to the gospel, they are diminishing the gospel. They're distorting the gospel. And Paul came to Peter in Acts chapter 11, I'm sorry, um, Galatians chapter 1 verse 11. It says this, but when Cephas, that's Peter, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles, but when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. Let me tell you what happened. What, Paul, uh, what Peter was doing was this. Before his Jewish friends had come, he was here with these Gentiles in the Galatia, and he was eating and fellowshipping with, fellowshipping with them. He was connected to them. He was spending time with them. And then all of a sudden, his Jewish friends are coming from Jerusalem, and now, what does Peter do? He withdraws. He withdraws from them. Why did he withdraw? I don't know. Maybe he was worried about a conflict with his Jewish friends and believers. Maybe he was worried about feeling contaminated, that they would see him as contaminated because he was spending time with people of a different ethnicity. I don't know what it was, but I do know this. Paul said this, in doing so, he was not in step with the gospel. He was not in step with the gospel. He was not only not in step with the gospel, he was diminishing the gospel of God's amazing grace. The heart of the gospel is that um, you're not saved because of external things. You're saved because God changes hearts and changes lives. And when Peter withdrew himself from others, he was minimizing what God had done for them. See, what happens is this. The central cadence of our walk, as John Piper said, is this. The central cadence of the gospel walk is to be breaking down ethnic hostilities and suspicions. The impulse of unity and harmony should be at the center of the gospel. See, Peter's walk was not in step. He went from the freedom of the gospel to bondage. He forgot the gospel. He missed out on the unity, and because of fear of others, he moved away from others. So he was afraid of conflict. He was afraid of their condemnation. He was afraid of maybe them viewing him as contaminated by others. But in essence, his withdrawal distorted the gospel of God's amazing grace. It diminished it. It devalued it. It distorted it. See, that when I and you fall in love with the gospel again, when I can get overwhelmed by the fact that God can love me infinitely, when God can accept me totally, when God can forgive me completely, that every sin that I've ever committed, past, present, and future, has been forgiven in Christ, and that I've got heaven that awaits me, as much sorrow and as much pain as we go through on this earth is small in comparison to the fact that I will spend all of eternity with him. That's the beauty of the gospel, and so that that gospel must be at the forefront of racial issues and racial harmony. 
Turn with me to another passage in James chapter 1. In James chapter 1, James, who is the half-brother of the Lord Jesus Christ, talks about what real religion is. It's interesting that he, he lays out for us what is really essential when it comes to Christianity. What is it really essential when it comes to your faith? He says this in verse 26 of chapter 1. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not keep a bridle on his tongue, he deceives his heart. That person's religion is what? Worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this. To what? To look at people who are oppressed. To visit the orphans and the widows in their affliction and to keep oneself from being stained by this world. Racism is a staining of this world. It is not driven by the gospel of God's grace. So pure religion is this. Looking after those who have been diminished by this world, vulnerable in this world, devalued in this world, and you rescue them first with the gospel. You rescue them also in the physical way. You look after these orphans and widows in their distress. Then he goes right after this. Remember, there are no chapter divisions as he wrote this. There are no verse and no chapter divisions. Right on the heels of this, he says, what um, pure religion is, to, is undefiled before God and Father is that we visit the orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being stained by this world. My brothers show no partiality. See it? As you hold to the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, for if any man is wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, he uses an element of um, rich versus poor. But we can use it the same way with race versus different races. For if anyone is wearing a gold ring and fine clothes comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothes comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who has fine clothes, saying, you sit here, right here up front, while you're the poor man, you stand over there or you sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not made distinctions among yourself and become judges with your evil thoughts? So what, what James is saying is this, that if you really want to be gospel focused in your life we recognize we've been forgiven by God but we show no partiality see if you have a worthless religion a religion that does not look out for other people if you have a religion that is partiality on an external basis there is something wrong we've got to stop favoring certain races we have to stop preferring certain cultures and we need to recognize that even if somebody looks differently on the outside we're one in Christ I want you to consider that partiality is judging. That when I am partial or discriminatory, I am judging somebody from my heart. I want you to consider that partiality contradicts the gospel of God's amazing grace. It contradicts God's heart. He wants you to take the gospel to all the world. And so when you act in partiality or discriminatory ways, you're minimizing that gospel of grace. I want you to understand that the gospel um, allows for liberty, but when we show partiality, we are cutting off liberty and freedom. I want you to understand that when we are partial, we're not showing mercy to one another. And I want you to understand that when we are partial, it contradicts the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ. So what's the answer? I think we need to exalt diversity. You know, diversity is pretty beautiful. God's not a boring God. 
how many different shades and how many different things. You could walk out and see the different uh, birds and fish, the different animals, the different livestock that is out there. I want you to see the beauty of it, the beauty of every single person, that even though you may look the same externally, we're different people. There's su- such a beauty in diversity. In Psalm 93, 96, verses 3 and 4, it says this, Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works to all people. For God is great. He's great as the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared all over God's. So all over the world, we will praise his great name, I think we just sung. So diversity is beautiful. Diversity also increases praise for God. In Romans 15, 11, it says this, Praise the Lord, all you nations, and let all the people extol him. I think exalting diversity is not only beautiful, not only increases praise for God, but it implodes pride. It implodes pride. See, if I, as we saw in Acts 17, recognize that I'm made from one person, one man, then we're all together. I think we need to learn to love one another. Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, said this, I give you a new command that you love one another. How can we love? We love because God has vertically loved us, and now horizontally I pour that love out to you. And so, as John had said, there's a problem that if I am vertically loved, I've been poured out by grace and loved by God, how is it that I can't pour that grace out to one another? In Joel chapter 2, it says this, the Lord will pour out his spirit, and it will come to pass afterwards, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. For your sons and daughters will prophesy, and your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men will see visions. Even the male and female servants in that day I will pour out my spirit. Joel prophesied that, and we see that happening in Acts chapter 2, where the disciples were given a language to be spread out, and they given different languages to reach different people. It was interesting that God didn't just give one language for one group of people. He gave different languages for different people for a unifying gospel to bring us together in the beauty of Christ. So can I close with a series of principles I think think we've unearthed over the last couple of weeks? I think the first principle is this. I've talked to you about this before. Absolutes, convictions, and preferences. We should never add what God has not added to Scripture. And what God says is that there is one group of people, all created under Adam. And if you are in Christ, you're in Christ. And that's it, it alone. So any convictions or preferences that you may have, that, which is fine, they should never be elevated to the area of an absolute in God's word. I want you to be careful about stereotyping people. We have this tendency to look at a group of people and we say that all people are this way. There's a significant problem with that. All blacks are this way. All Italians are this way. All Christians are this way. That's a problem. I want you to consider that our body is supposed to be one of unity. That the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, we see that in Acts, uh, in Acts we see it in Ephesians chapter 3, that the unity of the body is reflected in the gospel of God's grace. I want you to understand that we also need to attack racism anytime we see it. 
In fact, we need to confront any moral sin that is there. Any moral evil that is there, including racism, must be attacked and attacked without mercy by showing mercy of God. I want you to consider the fact that this church needs to respond not only to culture outside in word, but we need to respond in deed. That we need to be hitting our community that's around us and drawing people into this church and into this body because this body should be reflective of our community. I want you to think about doing life together. We do life together um, in this body when we come on Sunday mornings, but we could do life together in our community. And when God gives us that building, I'm looking forward to that building being able to be used for the people of Warren County, for the people of Washington, so that we can reach out to those that are around us that may be a little bit different from us. I want you to consider that the partnership that you have in the gospel is a partnership not based on ethnic changes, but the partnership in the gospel is based on the fact that we are brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to consider learning about somebody who's different than you. Maybe somebody at work tomorrow. You go to work tomorrow or somebody in school who looks different than you, has a different language than you. Listen to them. Talk to them. Learn about their beliefs. Learn about their culture. Listen. Learn. Love. And by doing so, I believe that we'll see that we have one Savior, one gospel, one faith, one people. How beautiful will it be to see us in that unity once again. Lord, I know that uh, this side of heaven, sin divides, sin deceives, sin destroys. But Father, we can have such amazing opportunity here today because you've given us the gospel. The gospel sets people free. So, Father, help us to stop enslaving people today. Father, for us, we struggle at times with attitudes and actions that are not honoring of you. So, Lord, I pray that you would change our hearts and change our lives. I pray that you would help us to see the beauty of the gospel, that you drew us together under Christ. Help us to see the beauty of his genealogy, that he had so many people from so many different ethnicities. Help us to see the beauty of the early church, Father, that went out, not just from the Jewish group, but to all nations and all Gentile nations around this world. Father, help us to see that soon, in in about 20 years, it seems, that the gospel will be in every nation around this world, which is so amazing that every tribe and every tongue will have the opportunity to hear the gospel message. So, Father, help us to be people that do that, not only here in Washington, not only here in Warren County, but to the world for the glory and honor of your name. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.